Welcome back to the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I changed careers back in the early 2000s and I found it very difficult. So I made it my mission at that point to help other physicians who were looking to figure out a career transition or what to do to diversify their career with a side gig or multiple different small careers. Today, I have an old friend and colleague speaking with me. His name is Dr. Rich Burning. He was a client. He's still a friend. He'll always be a colleague. And I'm so excited to talk with him today and listeners so you can hear what he's done, how he transitioned, and learn a little bit more about health insurance and medical directorships. Hi, Rich. Hey, Michelle. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I'm really honored. Thank you for asking me. Oh, absolutely. So let's just dive right into it. Tell the listeners a little bit about your educational background, your training, and um, sort of how you uh, started thinking about this non-clinical transition. Yeah, sure. So yeah, my background in the beginning was pretty typical of everybody else's, you know, I was a biology major in college, went straight to medical school from college into my pediatric residency, and then stayed on and did a pediatric cardiology fellowship, graduated and got a job in pediatric cardiology. And for almost 20 years, I practiced in either a hospital setting or in the, toward the end in my own practice. Um, and it was just um, a whole bunch of factors that came together well, I should say that, you know, I've always had, I feel, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak in me. In fact, that's what drove me to want to go in my own private practice for a while. But I kind of timed that wrong because, you know, this was in 2010 when things started to change in terms of health insurance industry and reimbursements. And, you know, cardiology is fairly capital intensive. You have to have an echo machine and equipment. So, you know, I did that for five years before I saw the writing on the wall and said, you know, it's time to consider something else. So um, I just happened to kind of be, well, it's kind of funny. So my daughters are dancers. Ballet was, I'm a ballet dad, you know, for a long time. And I was, you know, my job was bringing my daughter home after ballet dance class at night. And I was standing in the hallway with another father. And I was just complaining about, you know, the reimbursement issue. And he said, hey, Rich, you should talk to my friend, another doctor, she's a medical director at Anthem Blue Cross. I said, sure, I'm open-minded. So after a series of coffees at Starbucks, she happened to live one town over from me. Um, you know, she offered me, she, she got me a job at Anthem. And in the first year, I, I kind of worked part-time in my practice, phasing it out and ramping up with Anthem to become a medical director. Now, I had no clue what a medical director did. I mean, I think back to my first day, my first week walking into that job, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I just knew I needed something different. And it, it checked the boxes for a certain, you know, number of things that I, that I had to have. One of them being that I couldn't have taken a big cut in salary because I had my kids all starting college. So um, it, it all went from there. And um, I've been working there for almost five years now. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, just, like I said, it's just a little bit of luck talking to a friend of mine that got me connected to somebody, but that's, that's the first thing I'm going to say to everybody here is, you know, it's about networking and keeping an open mind and 
and just when people say hey, here's an opportunity say okay I'll check it out you know um, I, I find that you know people talk to me and and they're they want to stay within a certain area or they want to do a certain kind of non-clinical job and I think they limit themselves right from the beginning that's just my opinion yeah well what else did you consider when you were thinking about doing something non-clinical yeah good question so well, actually when I st really started thinking about something non-clinical it was actually several years before I had this opportunity to present itself to me um, I'm kind of a computer nerd so I thought you know I like health information technology so I signed up to take a I mean I enrolled in the master's level course at a, one of those online courses with a big university and uh, I started doing uh, coursework for that and that was a little bit challenging because you know I was in fully in practice too and also um, wasn't used to working online like I am now and also when I when I started talking to people that were in positions to offer me a job, um, I didn't really, personally, I didn't feel like, you know, the opportunities were there. You're gonna come in an entry level position and they really wanted me to have IT experience at the hospital level, but I was in my own private practice. So I don't know, I know you talked to Brian, one of our other uh, coaches with your with your group, and he, mm -hmm. I'm sure he's got different perspective on this, but I, I found it a little challenging to say I'm gonna, you know, stop practicing clinically and try to get a entry-level job in a hospital to do IT. So I ended up dropping the course. I never finished my master's in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that does happen to people as they're looking at a career transition. There are oftentimes a lot of irons in the fire and not all of them work out and it's okay to not pursue some of the things that originally you thought might be a good option, um, especially when you find something that really fits you a little bit better. And, and oftentimes you learn about those things that might fit you a little bit better by exploring some of those other things early on. So how did you find the medical directorship and working for an insurance company? Um, how did you understand what that uh, career might look like and so that you could pursue it? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I did talk to medical directors, but here's the thing with medical directors, and, you know, you and your listeners might see this, that the term medical director is used really fairly loosely. Mm -hmm. So it, it's applied in many different situations, clinical situations, non-clinical situations, and even within, especially a large health plan, what a medical director does in one segment of the health plan is not exactly the same as what someone in another segment might do. So, I mean, I, I ended up working in a national commercial division, which is the Fortune 50 companies that self-insure their employees' health insurance. So they hire a company like Anthem or United Healthcare to come in and review the information, and make sure the care that's being proposed or being billed for is appropriate, um, working that out. And, I mean, that gets in the crawl of a lot of medical, of a lot of physicians to be, to have a medical director telling them, no, you, you know, we're not going to pay for this, or you can't do this because it doesn't meet the policy. So it took a while for me to kind of understand. It really took me six months to really understand kind of the whole scope of the position and what, as a medical director, what you do. I could try to explain that a little more here if you wish. Uh, well, 
that I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it, but we have such limited time. Let's keep going um, and keep telling us a little bit more about that maybe at a high level. And then I know at our meeting in April, you'll go into it in depth with those people who are very uh, interested in pursuing this, this career option. So could you give us a little bit of more of a high level um, understanding? Yeah, so it all is all based on a medical policy for a company. And the medical policy is put together, this is one of the career advancements a medical director would have would be to go into the medical policy division once they kind of complete their entry level or baseline uh, education, if you will. And that is, you know, it's, it's, you know, when is a drug approved or when is a procedure approved? And, and there's a whole group of medical directors, more senior level, and they bring in outside experts and they talk about what's current you know, current care, uh, standard of care, medical practice, and make basically a rule book, if you will. So the medical policy is really a rule book, and it's really, um, it's based on evidence-based medicine, um, which is a hot topic, too. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see the medical policy from any, it's online, it's public knowledge. So as a, as a physician providing care to your patient, you know, if you do certain procedures, you, it really behooves you to get online and at least for your bigger payers in your region, looking at what their medical policy says about, you know, what's medically appropriate or what's not going to be approved, and uh, and and so basically you're applying the rule book when you get the the medical records. Someone comes, a case comes to you to be reviewed, you have to look and see that basically all the boxes are checked. And if they do, then you approve it. And if not, then there's a format that you go through and you have to deny it. And it's never fun, right? But then the the next step is, if you're the physician that just got the denial letter, you have the right to appeal. And the first step in appeal is usually a peer-to-peer call, which is why medical directors need to be board certified, because peer-to-peer, you have to be board certified to be a peer. And basically, when I get you have to still be able to explain the medical policy to the physician that's calling you, protesting the denial, and explain what you needed or what wasn't met, what criteria wasn't met. So that's the hard part. I remember when I was getting interviewed to, for this job, more than once I was asked, how are you under pressure? You know, when, when you got a specialist, a super specialist knows, you know, I'm, I'm a pediatric cardiologist and I'm talking to a back surgeon and they're telling me why they need to do this procedure. How are you gonna be able to stand up and say it doesn't meet the medical policy criteria? That, to me, that was the hardest part, kind of learning the, the policy that well that I could explain at that level. See, there, there are higher levels of appeal, and I'm now getting to that point where I can do higher level appeals for certain things. But the very first step, the peer-to-peer call, is making sure you're talking about the same thing, making sure the criteria have all been discussed, making sure the, the provider understands it. And then if you still can't overturn the denial and you uphold it, they can go to further appeal. But to me, that was one of the hardest parts of learning the job is making those peer-to-peer calls and yeah, most of them are very cordial. Some of them can get pretty, pretty heated. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Do yeah. how how do you handle the heated ones? What's your best tactic? Um, I you know you got to keep your cool. You got to stick to the facts, and I really try to be helpful. Now I get hung up on a fair amount when I try to be helpful. I try to explain to them what what they need to do to get it approved, or try to explain to them the appeal process. I try to be helpful. Um, but you know, and I, like I said, most of the time, and I mean, I'm talking 75, 80% time, you know, I get a positive response and it works out, but you know, 
15, 20 percent of the time or more, you know, you get called names. They were put your name in the chart. You're not going to prove this. The patient dies. You're going to hear from our lawyers, that kind of thing. So when you're working for a health plan, you know, you're not at risk for malpractice the same way you are when you're actually delivering care. So mm -hmm. you are, it's not like you can't be sued. Some of my medical director colleagues have been sued and named in a suit. But, you know, when you're working for a company, their malpractice will, will cover you. So mm -hmm. it's a little less worrisome than when you're in your own practice or when you're in practice, I should say, delivering mm -hmm. care directly to the patient. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there are pros and cons to every job. So I guess we, we just talked about the cons um, here. Let's talk a little bit about the pros. How is your lifestyle now? And um, do you feel like it was a good move for you and your family? I, I think, yeah, I should have focused on the pros first. I think it was a great move. And I'm going to stay as a medical director. And, uh, you know, so many reasons. I mean, it's um, the very first thing I noticed when I went, you know, as scary as it was to learn everything, it was like going back to medical school. Because you're learning the medical policy, it's like going to medical school. You're learning all the different systems again. You're learning the newest technologies and newest drugs. Learning at a level that, you know, maybe at least, you know, most of us who specialize were, were an inch wide and a mile deep. People who are in primary care, you know, a mile wide and a few inches deep maybe. But, um, you know, it, you learn it in a, in a different level. And I really enjoyed that. And there's a lot of support around you, a lot of medical directors at different stages of their life. I like that. I like um, you can you can be in it as deep as as much as you want. Meaning, you can go full time. There's plenty of part time positions. There's remote positions. You can get involved in other aspects of the health plan, such as provider relations, hospital integration, uh, fraud, um, the medical policy. So there's a lot of opportunity once you get the ground level medical director position. Mm -hmm. And I like that. Um, and you know, for the most part, you, uh, many of the medical directors work remotely. As long as you're in, in continental U.S. or Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Alaska, you can do a medical. You can do a, be a medical director. And there's actually international positions too, for some of some of the companies have. You know, these these large corporations have uh, foreign presences. So I know I know a medical director who's working in London, England right now. Hmm. So it, it's 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 just a very different kind of way to use your medical knowledge. Yeah, it sounds so interesting. It sounds like you've learned a lot of things you did not learn in medical school and helped you to better understand from a big picture standpoint, the delivery of medical care. Yeah, and that's the other thing is because you really are in, uh, you're really involved more in population health in many ways, especially once you start getting involved in programs such as wellness. And, you know, how do you get a whole population that works for a huge corporation to one exercise, to eat right, to um, to you know, lose weight, to uh, get their preventive checkups on a regular basis, and how do you incentivize them? And that's all through plan design, and their the medical directors get involved in that. I also, because in my particular job, I do case management as well, meaning the, um, the patients are we call them members, which kind of I don't like still, but <laughs> but, but the but the patients who have the big diagnoses that identified through screens on the computer or through kicked out. So someone with a new diagnosis of cancer, somebody who just has a heart attack, somebody who's getting dialysis will show up in a list that my team of nurses will 
take care and instead of making phone calls. And then we actually have rounds every day, and we talk about the most complicated numbers. And we have complex rounds once a week. And at the complex rounds, we have <clears throat> healthcare professionals like dietitians, uh, behavioral health specialists, uh, uh, physical therapists, uh, pharmacists. And as a team, we talk about everything about this patient and like the roadblocks they're hitting. They can't get to the appointment. Well, we work out a way to get them transportation tokens. Or maybe they're getting their drugs from the most expensive drugstore and we just, you know, our pharmacists will call them and say, here's some coupons you can use and here go to, you know, use uh, this chain of, you know, they have an agreement with the company, use this chain, you get a big discount. Um, we have social workers call them and tell them about community resources available to them for adult daycare, for uh, how to sign up for Medicare Part B or get, you know, ready to, you know, if they're going to lose their insurance, get everything set up for Medicaid. I mean, you, you get involved in all that. I mean, you're actually taking care of patients. And then mm -hmm. on that end, you know, we do prospective peer-to-peer calls. So I'll actually call the doctor and I'll say, hey, you know, we're noticing your, your, your patients getting narcotics from three different drugstores. Are you aware of that? And, mm -hmm. uh, it can help so you can intervene so you know it's actually a pretty intensive job in many ways i mean i'm tired at the end of the day so mm -hmm. but i love it i love that part of it because i didn't want to give up taking care of patients i miss mm -hmm. my patients but so, wow so, it's not all about the money we, in fact we don't even we're not even allowed to talk about the money we wow. make it and that's a misconception we don't you know we get up here i get on peer-to-peer -peer calls and the doctors will say hey if you let us do this way we'll save your company money and i'm like I don't, I'm not involved in the money. This is all based on medical need, medical necessity, and it's not my money anyway. It's not the Anthem's money. It's the, it's the employer's money. You know, we're mm -hmm. just adjudicating. So it's just a different concept, a different way to look at what you're doing. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Well, speaking of money, um, can you tell us the range, the salary range of a medical director? Because as people are thinking about a career change, they often worry like you did about being able to support their family and make the money that they may have made in clinical practice. Yeah, well, so a bit of perspective is what your specialty is. Because I know that surgeons might think that the numbers I quote next are on the low side and pediatricians and family practice doctors might think, well, this is pretty sweet. So, um, and the other thing to keep in mind is whether you're working for a um, public company like an Anthem or whether you're working for a, a nonprofit, a lot of the health plans are nonprofit. So the, so the public company get compensated multiple ways. So you get a salary, you get a 401k, um, you get stock options, you get other stock shares, restrictive stock, you know, there's all the different stock shares I never knew about. It's all part of your compensation package. So I would say as a general rule, starting out as a medical director, you're you're probably starting out somewhere between 250 and 275 a year, and then it goes up pretty quickly. So once you're there a few years, you're easily over 300, and probably even mid 350. I mean, I know the senior medical directors are probably pushing 400 or 450, believe it or not. And some of that is again divided up into how you get paid through stock options or or direct, you know, paycheck, money in, in your pocket kind of thing. And uh, there's also bonuses which is included in that total number I just gave you. So your base might be 250, but you might have a 20% bonus paid out as an annual incentive plan based on how your company does or how you, you do. It's kind of a, usually a formula. So it, I would say it's high 200s to low 300s to start and then goes up from there. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right about it being a perspective thing, depending on your specialty and your situation prior to the transition. Um, can you talk about your your work-life balance? Are you able to have your weekends off or do you work on the weekends? Do you work at night? Do you take calls? Okay, that's a good question. So in general, it's a better work-life balance than being in practice, especially if you're in a small practice where you're on call a lot. Um, you know, t theoretically, it's pretty much an 8 or 9 a.m. to 4.30 or 5 p.m. kind of a job Monday through Friday. You get your weekends off. Um, you don't have on call per se, but like for my division, we work for national division. So we have nurses in California and I'm in New York. So once a month on a Friday, one Friday night a month, I take a turn being on call till 8 p.m. So I can be available to the nurses in the West Coast. If there's questions that come up about cases, um, but you know, then it's signed off. Um, it's all through the computer. So the, the downside I don't like about this job is it's a lot of sitting in front of your computer or if you have a standing desk, you can stand. So it's, all, it's you know very computer-based. Um, and so my current job gives us a laptop and we can work from home, which is a bonus. I work from home three days a week, sometimes four, some days all five days of the week I work from home. And that's a plus for a lot of reasons if you have dogs or kids or a working spouse. But the downside is, yeah, you do work at night sometimes and you do work on the weekends, but you know, they don't advertise that. Now the new, I'm actually taking a new position, as you know, and my understanding is they don't issue laptops because they want you to get your work done at the office. So we have desktop computers and we work pretty much nine to four thirty, and we have nights and weekends free. Very um, cool. So it probably yeah. depends on the company. Yeah. And I think some companies have more work life and, and also, when I first started out, the, the lower level medical director, it was, I think, a lot easier to have work-life balance. And now that I've moved up a little bit and I got other responsibilities, I use my nights and weekends sometimes to do projects or presentations I have to do to catch up on. Because during the day, it's pretty nonstop. I mean, mm -hmm. we use instant messaging and nurses are dinging me all day long. Hey, I need to run this by you. I need you to call this doctor. I need you to. So it, it, it can be stressful at times. Um, it's kind of hit or miss depending on what your responsibilities are. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, though, I think it's better. Yeah. Well, so as we kind of wrap up here, because we're getting to the end of our time together, if someone is interested in doing medical director work for an insurance company, can you give us some good resources for that person to explore to really find out if this is something that they want to go into? Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, I was lucky that I, you know, I ran into somebody who knew somebody and that's how I got started. And when I talked to my colleagues at my, at my office, majority of them did more, uh, they got involved in the case management or the kind of insurance work through their hospital. They volunteered. One way to do this would be to, um, to go down to the medical staff office or the, or the, maybe the medical records or whoever's in charge of this and say, hey, I'm willing to um, be the doctor that calls the insurance company medical director to protest denials of inpatient admissions, for instance. They're always looking for doctors who are willing to do that. I mean, there's a lot of patients now being taken care of by hospitalists, and a lot of times those hospitalists are not available. So if we say that, you know, this length of stay is denied after a certain date or the you know, whole admissions denied, you know, they, they, hospitals need somebody who's going to call the insurance company and say, no, you're wrong. This is why it needs to be admitted. So that or getting a medical review, chart review. So I, one of the doctors I work with 
he he was involved in the surgery department, basically reviewing um, the denials that were issued to his surgery department colleagues, and they were doing quality review, so internal improvement processes, so that they would get less denials from the insurance company ultimately by making changes to their hospital, but the protocols that the department was using. So there are ways to get involved. The other thing you, people can do is, you know, once they're board certified in their specialty, there are a lot of agencies outside that will do, and they will hire you to do medical reviews because uh, not every insurance company has a stable of medical directors who can't afford it, so they outsource it. And so, you know, um, if I can mention it, like Medical Review Institute of America, for instance, will hire people um, with with uh, specialty to, to do cases for smaller um, plans. Um, another, the other option is to get involved in some of these companies that do um, appeals. So as I was talking earlier about the appeals process, uh, usually there's three levels. So the first level is peer-to-peer, -peer, and it's done by the health plan's medical director. Then the second level appeal is still done by a medical director within the health plan. But then when they get to the third level of appeal, goes to an external reviewer many times, and those are not hired by the health plan. Those are independent, and they're hired through these independent review organizations, IROs, and they mm -hmm. provide this, especially, in, and, and they they will look at the denial and you know, do literature research and put together a report saying that standard of care is to approve this now, and your policy hasn't caught up, and then the health plan has to adhere to the decision. So you can be that person to be on the third level appeal. Having that kind of experience, um, clearly, when you apply for a job or a full-time position, and you know, that, get, get, that gets attention. Yeah, that is very interesting. Um, I, I do talk with people about getting some of that other experience for the institute that you described, and there are others as well. Um, but some of those things that you just... Uh, gave us some advice on if someone is interested in this is, are new to me as well. So that's very, very helpful, I'm sure, for our listeners and those yeah, people I mean, who are interested. Out to you. I mean, I can mm -hmm. get more specific names and contacts for people. So definitely through your membership site or you know, through our um, conferences spring or, you know, anytime, you know, I'm, I'm available to people to, to help them get started in this. And I believe it serves a real purpose. I mean, you know, it's kind of, a really good joke, but when I joined the insurance company, some of my practicing colleagues said, you know, Rich, you joined the dark side. And mm -hmm. after working in the uh, industry and seeing kind of what some doctors try to get away with and how things are done and not following standard of care and such, I, I'm not sure which side is darker. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm protecting patients many times by saying no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's a good career choice for people if they're interested. I bet you're a very good medical director. I can imagine that you keep a pretty cool head when you get those calls where people aren't necessarily happy, but I mean, it's all situational anyway. So do you ever get people calling to apologize for their behavior after maybe treating you poorly? I never get any doctors calling me, but you know, it's funny. My nurses get re um, pretty good relationships with the patients, the members. So they hear about it from their doctor and sometimes the patients will apologize through my nurse to me. Or, you know, there have been times when situations have been contested and heated and, 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 the, and the patients will call back 
months later sometimes and say, your doctor was right and thank you so much for standing up for me or doing this or doing that. And my nurses get flowers and cards. It's, so they, you know, I won't say that happens as much as it should, but it does happen. Wow. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for chatting with us today, Rich. And um, I know people can find you through my website or meet you at the conference that we're having in April in Austin. Um, and I think you said you'd be happy to speak with anyone. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I'll be happy to, to share what information I have. I'm always willing to help out other physicians. That's what it's all about. Right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, listeners, for being with us. Join us next time for another very interesting story about career transition and non-clinical careers. See you next time.